0: morning. Please pray with me as we begin. Father, you make known to us the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I pray that you would quiet our hearts That your word would pierce through any sin, any bitterness, any anger, unthankfulness. And that you would help us to see the path that you have laid out for us and that we would walk in it. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, good morning again. We at CBC have dropped into this book of Ephesians three times in the last few weeks. We had uh, Ephesians 6. The Body of Armor with Zach Schlegel a while back. Two weeks ago, we had Jonathan Lehman preach to us from Ephesians 2. And now we are in the middle of those two sections, but at a key juncture of the letter. And it's a juncture of the letter, and it addresses a juncture that we all face in our lives. The choice of the path that we will walk. Thinking about walking that path uh, I, was, I was reflecting on my past. I enjoyed memorizing poetry when I was younger, believe it or not. And one of those that has persisted in my memory is pretty well known. It's called The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, and taking the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy, and wanted wear. Though, as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And it goes on, and spoiler alert, the traveler takes the road less traveled by, and that made all the difference. Well, in our passage this morning, we see ourselves at a juncture, at two diverging paths. One is distinctly wider in both the traversing and the popularity. The other is narrower less traveled. In our own wisdom, we can look down them both a little ways to where they bend, try to make a decision on which we should take, but our passage will serve like an overview map on a GPS, showing the two routes and revealing that the wide path leads to darkness and foolishness and the narrow path leads to joy inexpressible. Let's go to that passage now. Please turn with me to Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. Uh, actually, for a little more context, let's read the, that whole paragraph. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. And you can stay open in your Bibles. We'll be traveling through Ephesians a little bit at the beginning and then jumping around in it a little bit at the end as well. So, Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. We will see as we look at this passage that walking in the spirit produces unity in the body through singing, through thanksgiving, and through submission. If you're taking notes this morning, there's going to be four points, one for each of those verses. First point, being filled with the spirit. And then that produces the following three points: produces singing, produces thanksgiving, produces submission. We'll go through all of those points this morning. But before we get to those, let's look at how we arrived at this point in Paul's letter to the Ephesians and his exhortation to be filled with the Spirit. Paul's theme of unity among Christians at the church in Ephesus is important to note, and I'll be speeding through Ephesians here. Paul is writing to an area in Asia where there are Jewish and Gentile Christians alike. In chapter 2, we read terminology starting in verse 12. Gentiles were alienated, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. We were dead, remember? Two weeks ago, we talked about that. But now, Christ has made us both one, broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Down into verse 20. All believers are being formed into one household of God, growing into a holy temple in the Lord, and are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And then in chapter 4, the unity theme is expressed as Paul is exhorting his readers to a certain manner of living. And that revolves around maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And what are the things that the church is unified in? He lists them there in verse 4 of chapter 4. There is one body, the church, with Christ as the head, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We're unified in Christ. Paul is emphasizing that unity, and he continues By unpacking how we can attain to that unity, what that looks like. So, the beginning of our section really starts at Ephesians 4. So, back to Ephesians 4 1 briefly, Paul tells the Ephesians to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. What is that calling? Ephesians 4 15. Grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. We were created for good works. As he said in chapter 2, how do we do that then? Well, verse 17 of chapter 4 begins a series of put off, put on, or do not, and instead do instructions or commands. So verse 25 of chapter 4, instead of lies, put on truth. Verse 26, instead of anger, put on peace. Verse 28, instead of theft, put on generosity, and so on. And as we reach the end of this series of contrasting instructions, there are three concluding ones in our paragraph. But carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. And that brings us to our juncture, with a choice to make. Paul lays it out through God's revelation like this GPS overview. We can choose to walk the path of the Spirit of this age, the path of foolishness, The path that is capstoned here with drunkenness and contains immorality, greed, anger, darkness, no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Or you can walk in the manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk in faith, the new and better path. A path of wisdom, of understanding the will of God. A path that leads us to be filled with the Spirit and produces in us joyful unity as we sing to one another. Praising God with thankfulness mutual submission to one another. For the remainder of our time, we will look then at that contrast to drunkenness versus being filled with the Spirit, and then what the Spirit produces in our lives together through that. And we're at our first point, be filled with the Spirit. Verse 18 begins with the imperative, do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Debauchery and drunkenness were common expressions that encapsulated foolishness in Jewish literature and elsewhere in scripture. Romans 3, 1 Thessalonians 5 use that same theme of drunkenness likened to foolishness and also darkness. So in verse 17, where it's instructing us, therefore do not be foolish, this is a restatement of that, but with the specific terminology of drunkenness and debauchery. So it needs to be said, overindulgence in alcohol, whether weekly monthly, annually, or years apart, is walking in a path of foolishness. If that is a temptation for you, please acknowledge it, confess it to God, and know that there is a new and better path, as we will see this morning. Speak to a member of the church here that you know or trust and seek accountability to turn away from that path of foolishness. However, if drunkenness is not now or has never been a struggle for you, what are you? under the influence of? If not alcohol, are you tempted to be under the influence of other things that are unwise, that lead you into spiritual darkness? Under the influence of what people think of you? A fear of man? Or under the controlling influence of your possessions? It feels like so much of your time is invested in maintaining your earthly treasures. Under the influence of social influencers, of culture, of society, Jonathan Lehman from Ephesians 2 a couple weeks ago said, either the world is defining you or God is. And that's a great statement for this contrast because what we are under the influence of is what is defining us. Are we under the influence of the world or under the influence of God, being filled by the Spirit? What path are we choosing? Instead of being drunk, then, we are to be filled with the Spirit. And to be clear here, this isn't referring to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That is present in all believers. And that's that's not what being filled with the Spirit here is. uh, This is after the moment of salvation, walking in the Christian life. This is putting yourself under the authority of the Spirit, under the influence of the Spirit, seeking to be conformed by the Spirit to the likeness of Christ, not indwelling, which is our permanent reality as a follower of Christ, but being filled with the Spirit day by day. Do we seek to be filled with the Spirit? And as we are, what does that produce in us as we live our lives together? What are some signposts on this path of being filled with the Spirit, that we are on the right path, especially as we live in community with one another? Well, the first signpost, according to verse 19, is singing. And that's our second point this morning. Being filled with the Spirit produces singing. Singing. Not necessarily what you would expect, right? Like, what about holiness or maturity or any of the fruits of the Spirit? But when you are living, no longer dead, seeking to be filled more and more with the Spirit, submitting to God's rule in your life and allowing him control in your life to lead you to walk in paths of wisdom, singing from joy in your heart is an overflow of that life. Look there with me, in the verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit. And verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. It's pretty specific right away. One of the purposes for our singing is to sing addressing one another, to sing to one another. And I think we often see our corporate worship uh, and singing as a me-to-God interaction. So we have our bulletin, we have the words, we have God, we close our eyes, we worship. And that's not wrong. That's absolutely not wrong. We sing songs that foster just that. We sang them this morning. Uh, Another song, Jesus, I, my cross, have taken. All to leave and follow thee. Destitute, despised, forsaken. Thou from hence my all shall be. Perish every fond ambition. All I've sought or hoped or known. Yet how rich is my condition, God and heaven Are still my own. That is written as an individual singing to God. The Psalms are another wealth of songs directed from us to God. However, what about the song we just sang? Afflicted saint, to Christ draw near. So sing with joy, afflicted one. We're not singing to God, the afflicted one, we're singing to one another. I'm singing to you, singing to each other, the afflicted ones. You have chronic pain or health issues that are wearing you down, that are wearying your spirit. So sing with joy, afflicted one. The battle's fierce, but the victory's won. You have a broken family tree, fractured by sin and unrepentance. You long that your family tree could be larger. My friend, God shall supply all that you need, yet as your days your strength will be. Friend, there can be joy in any suffering because the final victory over suffering has been won by Christ. And we can sing that truth to one another. And we do in that song that we just sang. And as we'll see with all of these signs of the spirit, singing fosters unity. Parents or anybody, have you ever broken up a fight between two siblings and one of them said, I'd really like to sing songs of encouragement to my sibling right now? (sighs) It's it's ridiculous. In the same way, I'm not too likely to be looking to sing encouragement, assurances about God, to somebody that I'm in conflict with in the church, am I? So as a way of building and fostering unity in the church, we confess sin. We reconcile to one another, and we sing to one another, and to God, the one in whom our unity exists. That is an unexpected, beautiful purpose for our congregational singing. Now, practically speaking, what does addressing one another with singing look like? Well, for one, we look at one another while we sing. We look at one another. Say we're singing a song like Romans Doxology, which we just sang, and this thought goes through your mind. You know what? I know that sister from our conversation at dinner, or from that text thread, or that phone call, or small group, she's struggling. These words would be an encouragement to her. Where is she? Where is she? There. There. Oh, the depth of the riches, the wisdom of God. How miserable is his grace. How unfailing his kindness so far removed his wrath. And his mercies are new each day. Be encouraged, sister. Take heart, brother. Let's fill our hearts with this truth together. So addressing one another may look just like that. Actually addressing one another looking around the congregation and singing to one another. Now, that may not be natural for some, not necessarily for me, but that leads to a second practical application of this point. It is important that in our congregational singing, we be able to set aside some of our musical preferences. I want to read a quote from the book Sing, How Worship Transforms Your Life, Family, and Church by Keith and Kristen Getty that addresses this idea. So here it is. You are called to serve them, your church family, by singing with and to them. When we see our singing together in this way, we will happily compromise when it comes to the style of music, the instruments used in the music, and so on. Of course, we'll find particular hymns and arrangements more to our own tastes, but there is something bigger and so much more exciting happening here. Don't view singing with the church as an opportunity to sing in a way that sounds like the culture you live in or like a past era you wished you lived in. Come to sing to lend your voice to the timeless, boundless sound of the congregational voice singing to the one who is eternally worthy of our praise. Now, if you have ideas about the music that we sing or don't sing, the way we sing it, I invite you to speak with me or one of the other elders. Speak to those in the music ensemble, but also seek to give your attention to the truth in the songs that we sing. And pray that you could worship the Lord in all of them. What else does singing to one another look like? Sing. Sing with conviction. And that could be another matter to consider in your heart. Do I have cause to sing for joy? Well, do you have the assurance of salvation in Christ through forgiveness of your sins? My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. If you are a Christian here who has experienced the lifting of sin's burden through the atoning death of Jesus Christ, we have every reason to sing with joy and with conviction. If you do not feel that joy, Christian, pray to God. God, please increase the joy in my heart. Show me your glory. And I pray that it would be displayed more in my countenance and in the way I speak and interact with others. And when I sing, that they can see the joy that I have in Christ. Please do that work in me. If you are an unbeliever here and you are mystified by the words of our music, they are truths presented in a variety of lyrical styles, either quoting the Bible, like the Romans doxology that we sang this week, Roman, uh, we sang Psalm 150 last week, Or singing about God's character and works. I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. Oh, praise the name we'll sing at the end. Or songs of personal testimony, expressing truths of the salvation we have in Christ. All I have is Christ. Songs to comfort and encourage one another in our lives together. Afflicted saint. These are all praise to God because whatever the type of song, it is worship to God, worshiping his nature, his power, his grace, his love, his honor, his glory, his creation. And we as Christians are commanded to sing praise to God. So we do that for his glory and for our joy. Looking again at verse 19, is there any particular difference between the types of singing listed, between psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, you could even throw in there, What is more likely than each of those representing a distinct style of song is simply Paul's preference for stylistic repetition in his writing. However, I did just list a variety of song styles, and we do seek to sing a broad cross-section of those varieties, both modern and ancient, in our worship together. And as we sing here in the second half of verse 19, we are making melody to the Lord with our hearts. This praise is coming not just from our lips then, but it is coming from, it is fueled, from our hearts where the Spirit resides in us. A word for the teens on this. Adults you can listen in. Our hearts won't just flip a switch on Sunday mornings to start pumping out praise to God that it wasn't being filled with during the week. The things we set before our eyes and ears during the week is critical. Those things are defining our heart. So are we purposely seeking out music that turns our hearts to the Lord? carve out and protect time for filling our hearts with words and songs of praise. When you do your chores, when you do yard work, uh, when you're cleaning your room dutifully immediately after you're being asked, or folding laundry, use those times to make your heart ready to address one another with biblical truth when those opportunities come. I want to commend to you the CBC Weekly playlist. Every week or on Monday or Tuesday, the songs for the following Sunday are put on this playlist, and if you have a Spotify subscription, you can listen to just them. If you don't have a Spotify subscription, you can listen to them with numbers of other songs like it. Uh, either way, it's encouraging, and you get to listen to the music, the words that we will be singing to one another later that week. I think it's just called CBC Weekly Playlist. You can, it's in the newsletter. Well, then we go on to verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanksgiving then is a natural byproduct of singing with and to one another and offering praise to God. And it's our third point. Being filled with the Spirit produces thanksgiving. Singing and thanksgiving go hand in hand then. In other words, you're not going to sing, and when I reach the final day, he will not leave me in the grave. But I will rise. He will call me home. The Lord is my salvation. You won't sing that with your heart and rightly be unthankful. It should elicit a proper perspective of thankfulness. Okay, a question. Four and five-year-olds, can you raise your hand if you are four years old or five years old? There's only a couple. All right, well, I have a question specifically for you because I know you're not normally in the service, but you are today. So can any of you call out or raise your hand? What is something that you are thankful for? Anything at all, something you've prayed for, something you're thinking of just now? Any four- or five-year-olds have anything? I know there's not many. Is there somebody? What about six-year-olds? Yes, you. How about you? Books. Excellent. That's a great thing. I know I have kids who would say the same. Anybody else? Let's go up. For, how about up to eight years old? Five, six, seven, eight. Yes. Your house? Yes. Awesome. Yes. The Lord provided a house for you. Yes, in the back. Yes, to Glenn Burney. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, Awen. Who? Awesome, Knox. you say water? Drinking it or swimming in it? A little bit of both, but mostly swimming. Yeah, I agree, I agree. Water's good to drink too. Well, all of that, everything you've named and everything else you could name, I was kind of hoping somebody would say my dad, but okay. Um, <laughs> no, nah, I wasn't hoping that for my own kids. I, I specifically chose an age that wasn't my children in here. Um, well, all of that falls under this verse which says to give thanks always and for everything, not just every good thing. Thanksgiving is an acknowledgment of God as the ultimate source of all that is. It is an acknowledgment of his sovereignty over all events of our lives. He is the creator, sustainer, redeemer of life. We can be thankful to God for who he is, our Savior. He is worthy of all glory. He's worthy of all worship, worthy of all thanks, Now, I do want to acknowledge that there are unspeakably hard and bad events that many of you have lived through or are maybe living through right now and that you carry with you. Even in circumstances that break our hearts or wound our body, we can trust God in the depth of that hardness and thank him that he will turn even our mourning into gladness. Our ashes to beauty. He will right every wrong. He will vindicate the innocent. Friends, if you are in utter despair, questioning how you can make it through life's challenges, questioning whether you want to make it and bear life's burdens, look to Jesus. His yoke is easy, and his burden is light. There is calm at the end. There is rest at the end for those who trust him. We see the end of that path in God's word. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. With us in the fire and the flood, you're faithful forever. Perfect in love, you are sovereign over us. And in this passage, if you look back at verse 4 in chapter 5, it begins this conversation about thanksgiving. It says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a heart condition that replaces and combats sin. It is the opposite of it. Sin is self-centered, selfish. It is immorality, impurity, covetousness, foolish talk, crude joking, a dead path. These are things where we take a look at our life. We see the things we want, want to say, want to do, want to look at, and we say to ourselves, this is where God has me. This is where he's placed me, but I don't have all that I feel I need. I want that. Thanksgiving is a signpost on the path of a spirit-filled life. It is the recognition of the generosity of God satisfying your every need, even if it may or may not be the way you would have chosen. Morning by morning, New mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord unto me. As it relates to unity in the body of Christ, just a quick word. When was the last time you complained about somebody while your heart was filled with thankfulness for them? They're incompatible. Put off foolish talk and put on thanksgiving. Parents, Let's gently, patiently guide our children toward this path of thankfulness as we have occasion. And let's lead by example in walking in that spirit-filled path of thankfulness for everything. And if we are not modeling this attitude of thankfulness in all circumstances, our kids will see it, and they will take note. They might even let you know. For anyone here, what are some ways we can specifically cultivate thankfulness in our hearts and homes? Make a prayer of thanksgiving part of your personal prayer life or a, a prayer that you offer at the beginning or the end of a family meal or at bedtime. Keep a journal. Set up memorial stones, literally or figuratively, something to mark God's faithfulness and stir your thankfulness over time. Uh, I'll, I'll come to you something that uh, Leanne and I did. Early in our marriage, we just got a calendar. So early in our marriage, it's a 2012 calendar, uh, still on our walls, confuses some. But we've written things from our lives both in our married life and in the past, that we would otherwise forget. Uh, The day this church first started gathering. We wrote it down. We remember it every February. Oh, look at that. Uh, When significant job changes happened. Obviously, we remember the birthdays of our family, but maybe uh, the day my dad prayed to accept Christ in 1972. Long ago, uh, the first time Layla fell asleep with her head on my shoulder. That was a moment uh, for, for me as a father. Um, we've written those down, and we get to recall them and recall God's faithfulness to us and be thankful to him. Sharing things to be thankful for around the dinner table, not just on Thanksgiving. Ask yourself and others this simple question, what is something you're thankful for today? Try that at work this week, and let me know what the response is. Spirit-filled thankfulness orients our hearts. It enlarges our hearts to better see God's love and mercy. And when we see and trust God's love and mercy, trust his good designs by faith, we submit to his purposes, and we submit to one another. Which brings us to point four. Being filled with the Spirit produces submission. Our last signpost of the Spirit-filled path in this passage. The new and better path. Verse 21 submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This verse serves as a bridge between the section that we're concluding with these verses and the next section from chapters 5, verse 22 through 6, 9, on how we behave in our relationships with those around us. Obviously, a spirit-filled mutual submission to one another is profoundly important in maintaining the unity of the church. We even thought about an example of submission earlier when speaking about sacrificing some of our musical preferences when coming to worship together. A helpful definition of submission, I read from a commentary in this context, is submission demands readiness to renounce one's own will for the sake of others. Submission demands readiness to renounce one's own will for the sake of others and to give precedence to others. And when we think of it this way, it provides a helpful balance to the following passages in Ephesians. Yes, the Bible instructs wives to submit to their husbands in their specific roles and by God's design in the next verse. But in this sense, husbands ought to have a sacrificial, self-denying posture toward their wives. In that they put their wives' interests before their own. I don't say this to create confusion about the following sections, but to balance and help avoid the misuse or the abuse of the following verses on submission. And the multiple exploitations to husbands in the following verses support this idea of submission, of sacrificing your preferences and desires for the sake of others. By the way, it's Father's Day, so here's my Father's Day message. Everything I've said applies to you too, dads. To press into that, Ryan Payne shared something at the men's retreat that he borrowed from a friend. John prayed it in the pastoral prayer. The dad is the chief repenter in the family. What he means by that is that dad takes the lead in apologizing and asking forgiveness when he's sinned and exemplifying and illustrating that to his family. And applying that concept to this passage, dads, you are the chief singer, the chief praiser of God, the chief worshiper, the chief facilitator of that, the chief of showing thankfulness in your family, the chief of laying down your preferences and desires for your wife and for your children. We are the chief modelers of a spirit-filled life to our families. But in the second half of this verse, we have a motive. Why submit to one another? For that matter, why give thanks? Why sing to one another and the Lord with our hearts? Why choose the new and better path of wisdom, of being filled with the spirit, out of reverence for Christ? The Greek word here is phobos, translated in other places in Scripture to mean awe, terror, But awe or reverence is appropriate here, as it is an awe at Christ's power that Paul emphasizes in this letter. This is an awe that is first referenced in chapter 1, verses 19 to 23, where God is accorded the immeasurable greatness of his power, and the power that he worked in Christ is highlighted, and Christ's position in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come." that ought to elicit elicit a reverence and awe. Christ, the one over all things, is head over the church and us, the parts of the church. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. And as we grow in reverence of Christ, grow in the love of Christ, grow in recognizing his power, his sovereignty, his righteous judgment over the earth, we submit to him. And because we submit to him, we choose to also mutually submit to one another. Friends, brothers and sisters, we are faced with a choice. Choose to pursue and live the life of the spirit of this age that is marked by all that drunkenness is and symbolizes, the foolish, dark path of being controlled by something other than God. Or to put that off and choose to pursue in faith a new and better way, the spirit-filled life a life that produces in us praise, thankfulness, and joyful submission. The new and better way is what we have been set apart for. Ephesians 1.4 says, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Then in chapter 2, verse 10, it says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. How do we do that except by the grace of God and through his indwelling and filling our hearts with the Holy Spirit as we submit to God's rule in our lives? As we do that, Christ does a sanctifying work in us and he grows us in our holiness. This new and better path is the path we are called to walk in. It cannot be walked outside of his grace or outside of his mercy. If you're an unbeliever, if you're not a Christian here this morning and you're thinking, This is impossible. I don't feel joy when I sing these songs, not in the way that the Bible describes. And thankful for everything. I can think of a laundry list of bad and hard things that have happened to me and happened to others, and that will happen. Why should I be thankful for that? And submission. I want to be happy. Well, for you, these are impossible things right now. Outside of Christ, these are impossible asks for any of us. Praise be to God that he equips us through the Holy Spirit, through his word, to walk in these ways, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. If you're not a Christian, whether your life is humming along as you see it, or if it's at rock bottom, I pray that your eyes and heart will be open to understand this, the good news, that God is holy and perfect, and we are separated from him by our sin We are sinners, and the just penalty for our sin is death. But God, being rich in mercy, sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life on our behalf. And if we repent of our sins, if we by faith trust in Christ for forgiveness of our sins, we are restored. We are redeemed, given the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We are united in Christ, made alive in him. And in the backdrop of that inexpressibly good news, Christians then strive to what we are created for, walking in good works, growing in our Christ-likeness, glorifying and praising God. Friend, look to the narrow path and walk in it. As I was reflecting on our five-year anniversary as a church a few months ago, I was thinking about some of the things that we have regularly prayed for, and one of them is from our church covenant. And the statement is drawn from Ephesians 4, 3. In the covenant, we agree to pray for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I realize, praise God, that that prayer that we have covenanted to pray together is largely being answered. In the midst of political turmoil, civil unrest, a global pandemic that brought with it a host of potentially divisive issues, issues within our church and in the church at large, God has been so gracious to give us any degree of unity. So there's something we can be thankful for. In my day job, I think a lot about safety. And just this week, I was talking to a group of people, and I said, we have a pretty good track record of safety here. But that track record of safety, if we depend on that for safety today, it does absolutely nothing. We're in a bad spot. We have to continue to pursue safety and to continue pressing toward safety today and safety tomorrow. Similarly, pointing back to a track record of unity in our church will not ensure unity in the future. We must keep pressing, keep walking in the manner of obedience to God, seeking to be filled with the Spirit through prayer, seeking him through his word, reconciling to one another, confessing sin to one another, walking as children of light with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged. I am personally challenged and spurred on by the examples you display of this spirit-filled conduct. And it made my study of our passage today result in my own praise and thankfulness to God for this church. I immediately was recalling people among us who sing to one another the truths of God, who buoy their own hearts and sing with song and share it with others. A brother sent me two songs yesterday. I thought of people who are thankful for everything, In the midst of serious serious challenges in their lives and people who joyfully humbly submit to god's designs for leadership in the church in families in our relationships but also be challenged if you are here and you reflect i think more about the songs i wish we were singing or i wish we weren't singing than i do about praising god and encouraging others in song confess that to God and seek his help to grow in praising his name. If you are quick to complain, slow to be thankful in your daily thoughts and conversations and before God, confess that to God. Seek his forgiveness and take some time to intentionally ponder and articulate all that we have to be thankful for, even in the midst of the storms of this life. If you are looking to your own interests and not to the interests of others, being selfish in that way, confess that to God. Seek opportunities to set aside your personal preferences in love for others. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. The paths are made clear by Scripture. Turn from the path of foolishness and walk in the new and better path, the Spirit-filled path of joy, the path of thankfulness, trusting God's design, fueled by our reverence of God and in awe of his power and mercy. And we do not walk alone. We are unified in the gospel through Christ. And in this gospel, the church is one. We do not walk alone. We have his spirit as we press on to lead us safely home. And when in glory still I will sing of this old story that rescued me. Praise to my Savior, the King of life. I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. had to sing eventually. Please pray with me. God, for endless days, we will sing your praise because you are rich in love, rich in mercy. In your mercy, you have shown us the path to walk. Give us the grace and conviction to be filled with the Spirit and to walk in it, to encourage others as we walk together. I pray these things in your name. Amen.